0: He is risen. He is risen indeed. Amen. Take your Bible, if you would, and turn with me. We're going to look at a portion of Scripture in uh, Mark chapter 16. Uh, as you're turning there, let me just invite you. Next weekend, we start a brand new series called Nailed It. Um, several weeks ago, we uh, had a sermon where we were talking about some things, just had an opportunity where you could write on a piece of paper some things that maybe uh, some struggles, some, some hang-ups. Some hiccups in life that you're just wanting to give over to the Lord and to nail to a cross. And so the campus pastors and I, we took those off that cross that we nailed in a service and we looked at them, we categorized them. And so we're going to deal with some of those issues that that you nailed on the cross that that were kind of some of the highlights that were some common themes, anxiety and pride and and depression, some things like that. We're going to go through that and we're going to just talk about how Today, the power of the resurrection, how that power can help us overcome some of those issues that we talked about um, several weeks ago that we nailed uh, on on the cross. There's a great passage in Colossians chapter 2 that says this, And when you who are dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses, and here's how he did it, by canceling the record of debt, That stood against us with its legal demands, this he set aside, nailing it to the cross. So I hope you'll come back as we nail some things to the cross by the power of the resurrection. So we've been in the journey in this series through Holy Week, looking at some of the key major events that have led up to today, led up to the celebration that we have that Jesus Christ is risen. The resurrection of Jesus is what we celebrate today. The moment that changed everything. The moment that changed human history. N.T. Wright said this, The resurrection completes the inauguration of God's kingdom. It is the decisive event demonstrating that God's kingdom really has been launched on earth as it is in heaven. The message of Easter, he went on to say, is that God's new world has been unveiled in Jesus Christ. And now we are invited to belong to it. So that's great news. That we have been invited to be a part of this kingdom reality. Jesus prayed or told us to pray. God, may your, or, may your kingdom come, your will be done on this earth as it is in heaven. So with that, the understanding the, the difference that the resurrection makes. Let's read This story as Mark uh, relates it to us in Mark chapter 16, the story of the resurrection. When Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome brought spices so that they might go and anoint him. And very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. And they were saying to one another, who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? And looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled away. It was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe, and they were alarmed. And he said to them, Don't be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He's risen. He's not here. See the place where they laid him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter that he's going before you to Galilee. And there you will see him, just as he told you. And they went out and fled from the tomb, for trembling and astonishment had seized them. And they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. Now, one of the things I think is really, really interesting about all this is that on several occasions, Jesus told his followers that he would, after he suffered, rise from the dead. The interesting thing is none of them expected it actually to happen. I don't know how many college March Madness NCAA tournament fans we have with us. How many in the house really excited about the NCAA tournament? Anybody, you're excited that it's over because your spouse or your significant other or the person you're with watched too much of it, you feel like, and you're glad it's over. Okay, some, we have some of those too. Okay, so uh, I love because every year it seems like there's teams, and especially this year, teams that out that, that just go beyond the expectations that people had of them going into the tournament. The Ramblers of Loyola are one of those teams. There's only been four teams in NCAA history that have been as low a seed as the Ramblers were. The Loyola Ramblers. They were an 11 seed back in 2018. And as an 11 seed, they made it to the final four. Only four teams have ever done that. Now, if you think about that, there's 64 teams. And if there's four different parts to the bracket... Then a number 11 seed is somewhere, you know, 41 to 45, somewhere like that. They're in the definitely the bottom tier of the tournament. Some of the worst teams of the tournament. But in 2018, the Loyola Ramblers made it to the final four. It was the first time that they made it to the final four since 1963. Now, there's a fan, maybe some of you, I know a lot of us probably, are familiar with their, their greatest fan. Uh, Sister Jean is, and we have a picture of Sister Jean. Some of you recognize her. Sister Jean, 103 years old. Sister Jean is arguably the greatest Loyola fan of anyone. And in 2018, Sister Jean, this woman of faith, uh, I want to show you her bracket From 2018, this is her bracket. Now I don't know if you can read it or not. Sorry for those of you on the radio; you're probably struggling. You can't read this, I know. But uh, on the left side, top left of this is the is Loyola, and so she's got them beating Tennessee in the first round. Then she's got them beating beating in Cincinnati in the in the in the or sorry, then playing Cincinnati in the Sweet 16 and losing to Cincinnati in the Sweet 16. And then and then they're out of it. So, and they made it to the final four. Sister Jean, a woman of faith, <laughs> arguably the greatest fan the Ramblers have ever had, 103 years old. And she, even though she believed in them, there was a limit <laughs> to what she was thinking. You know they're yeah, they can probably eke out a win or two, but when it gets tough, and when the team get teams get better, and when you start playing those big schools, and and when it goes on and the pressure is on, they're gonna fold. They're not gonna win. She became a realist. And she filled out her bracket. How many times do we carry that same attitude into our relationship with God? God I might believe that you can help me find a job. I might believe that you can you can do something about maybe the sin in my life. I might believe that you might help me find some special someone that I can marry, but boy when my marriage is on the rocks and it seems like it's hopeless. Can I really believe and trust that you could do something miraculous? God when my when my child is off the deep end and 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 just kind of you know going wherever can I really trust, can I really believe that you could bring my wayward child back to faith? I, I'm not sure, God, that, that in my addiction, as I struggle in my addiction, I'm not sure, God, if you really can help me where I am. I know you help other people, I know, I know you do other things. I'm not sure, God, I've, I've heard stories about how you've healed people, but I don't know, God, if I can trust you to take me to the next round. I don't know. What my expectations kind of stop here. I don't know if you can, if you're able. I don't know, God, in the midst of my depression, if I believe that, that you can help me find hope. And just like Sister Jean, we bring into our relationship with God these low expectations. And we are realist in our relationship with God. So what would it look like if we lived differently? What would it look like if we lived with an expectation of the resurrection, the, an expectation of resurrection power in our lives. Let's go back and, and look, at this, look at this text, the first few verses of, Mac, uh, of Mark 16. The Sabbath was passed, the women, they go to the tomb, and they're carrying spices. They brought spices so they might go and anoint him. It's so early, first day of the week, the sun had risen, they go to the tomb. And as they're going to the tomb, they start in this conversation, well, who's going to roll the tomb or the stone away from the tomb? Now, I want you to notice what they're expecting as they go to the tomb. It says that they brought spices with them. Spices in that first century—the way the the, the Jews, uh, when someone died and they buried someone—if uh, you were wealthy enough to have a tomb, they would put the body in the tomb. They would put oils and spices in the the body. They didn't they didn't embalm the body, so it would mask the odor of the person that had died. One of the signature miracles, if you remember it, of Jesus was him raising Lazarus from the dead. And when he was about to raise Lazarus from the dead, he talked to Martha, Lazarus' sister, and he says to Martha, have them roll the stone away. And Martha, in John 18, or John 11, says this. She objects, and she says, well, he's been dead for three days. There'll be an odor. Now, if you trans, if you the, the way the, the King James translates that, there'll be an odor, odor it translates it, he will stinketh. Uh, okay. So, and so she said, after three days, there's going to be an odor. And that was the expectation that they go with. That we're going to go and the body, Jesus' body, our Savior, Messiah, he will have laid there for three days and there's going to be an odor. And so we need to bring these spices to mask the odor. And then they're, so that was their expectation. He's going to be dead. That they're going to encounter a tomb with Jesus in it. They start talking about who's going to roll this stone away. How are we going to get into the tomb? Because this big stone is in the way. Again, there is this expectation that Jesus is in a tomb. There's a stone in place. They had such hopes. They had such hopes about Jesus. Hopes that he was something special. Hopes that he was their Messiah. Hopes that he would become the king of Israel and he would throw off the Roman oppressors that they had. They had such hopes But then, as he hung on a cross, they became realist. And they doubted and they scattered and they struggled. They were fans. They were loyal. They loved Jesus' teaching. They thought he did some great things. He's able to do miraculous things. And we saw him heal people. And we saw him do these wonderful things. We even saw, we were there when he he raised Lazarus up from the dead. But even though he said it, there's no way that he could ever raise himself from the dead. And like Sister Jean, their expectations were limited. So, what again would happen if? If we, if we lived with an expectation of the resurrection, what, what would have happened if, if, if they came on that Sunday morning with an expectation in the resurrection, an expectation that, that he had risen? What would, it, what would be different? Maybe they would come to the tomb, not, not walking and somber and, and, and struggling, but maybe come running, come excited that, that, that we're going to go with an expectation that maybe, just maybe, he's alive. Like a kid on Christmas morning in anticipation of expectation that there's going to be presents and it's going to be amazing. Do you remember that as a kid? Your expectations. You don't bring burial spices to a resurrection. You believe, but they didn't believe they were realist. And so what would it look like to have come with an expectation of the resurrection? Maybe you would bring, instead of burial spices, maybe you'd brought a fresh set of clothes. Maybe you'd, you'd have brought some sweet new, a sweet new set of sandals. Maybe you'd brought some snacks and a bottle of water. And, and after three days, I mean, Jesus, of course, is going to have uh, crucifixion breaths. So you're going to bring some breath mints. But they didn't bring any of that. They brought spices because their expectation was that he was dead. So if, as we think about this, I just want to encourage us that we need to learn from them and we need to live in the expectation of the resurrection. That we need to come prepared differently than them. We need to believe. We need to come ready. We need to come with ready hearts, believing that, that God can, that he does, still does miracles. He is able to move in us and through us with a ready heart and ready hands and ready feet to make a difference in this world and to have a hope that we too can experience the power of the resurrection, and that this life is just temporary. There is an eternal home for us. I love our faith. Our faith that our Savior is not in a tomb somewhere. There's not a place that you can go, and, and this is where his body still is. There's not a monument to that. Different than other world religions, whether that's a Buddha or a Confucius or a, or a Krishna, there's a place. We have no place. Our Savior is alive. He overcame everyone's expectations when he walked out of that tomb. And we need to live not that, like our Savior is, is dead and not like our Savior is, is unable, but that our God is able, that he's coming again, that I, could experience, that I will someday, as I put my faith in him, experience the power of the resurrection. So as we think about that, there's some other things. Let me just... I was thinking this week, there was I was at a Bible study with some men from the church. We were downstairs, it was Wednesday night, and we were talking about some books that we had read recently. We were kind of talking about that a little bit, and one of the guys said, well, I just read The Case for Christ. The Case for Christ, if you aren't familiar with that, Case for Christ is written by Lee Strobel. Lee Strobel was an investigative reporter uh, for, the, for a Chicago newspaper, and he was an atheist, and his um, job was to, you know, again, do investigative reporting, and so... He set out to disprove Christianity. And so he's going to go investigate the claims of Christianity and disprove uh, the reality of our faith. And so as he did that, and as he applied his skill as an investigative reporter, as he applied those skills, what happened was he decided that this is real and this is true. The veracity of our faith is such that, that he put his faith in Christ. And he is now a follower of Jesus. And he wrote a book. Of his investigation called The Case for Christ. He also wrote another book, The Case for the Resurrection. I would just say to you, if you're still wondering about faith, if you're still wondering, is Jesus real? Is the resurrection an actual thing? I would encourage you to read that book. And let God speak to you and just remind you that he is real, that Jesus is real, that he is a savior. And he rose from the dead. This is what Strobel wrote In short, I didn't become a Christian because God promised I would have an even happier life than when I was an atheist. He never promised any such thing. Indeed, following him would inevitably bring divine demotions in the eyes of the world. Rather... I became a Christian because the evidence was so compelling that Jesus really is the one and only Son of God who proved his divinity by rising from the dead. That meant following him was the most rational and logical step I could possibly take. So let's jump back in. Jesus rose from the dead. And that blew everyone's expectation. As I mentioned before and I've mentioned earlier in the series, he had told everyone, his followers, on multiple occasions that he would suffer and that he would rise from there. Let me just give you a little sampling. This is just from the Gospel of Mark because we're looking at Mark's account of the resurrection. And this is just the, the, the instances. You can see them throughout the other uh, Gospel writers. But this, this is just Mark. And listen to what Jesus said ahead of time, before his crucifixion, He said this in Mark chapter 8 verse 31. And he began to teach them that the Son of Man. And that's just a term that he would use when he's talking about himself. That the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes. And be killed and after three days rise again. In Mark 9 later on. Again, for he was teaching his disciples saying to them. The Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men and they will kill him. And when he is killed after three days he will rise And then another time in Mark 10, and this time he gets even more specific, seeing, see, we're going to Jerusalem, up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man, again he's talking about himself, will be delivered over to the chief priest and the scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles. And the Gentiles, he's talking about the Roman authorities that had the power, the Roman governor Pilate, will be turned over to the Gentiles, and they will mock him and spit on him and flog him. And kill him. And that's exactly what happened. And we saw all those things. And after three days, he will rise. He had told them over and over in Scripture that he would rise again. And what I would just remind us of is that God has a track record of keeping his word. That God has a track record of what he says comes to pass and we go back and we get kind of just just real quick we go back to the very beginning in the garden when God said to Adam and Eve you can do whatever you want to do in this garden but just don't eat that from that one tree and if you eat from that one tree it will not go well for you and they ate from that one tree and it did not go well for them if you go back to the Jewish people in the Old Testament you can just read through the Old Testament And we see the Jewish people, God warned them, you you need to turn back, you're worshiping these other idols, these other gods, these other false gods, you need to turn back, you need to get your life together, and they didn't do it. And he warned them, hey, this is going to happen, it's not going to go well for you if you don't do what I ask you to do. And sure enough, exactly what God said would happen, happened. It did not go well when they ignored what God said. And just like every time God says something, he keeps his word, Jesus also kept his word. The disciples, I, I think, should have seen it coming. I mean, imagine it's Saturday, and they're all sitting around, and they're hiding out, and they're, they're struggling, uh, with, you know, and they have no expectation that he's going to rise from the dead. But, but then as they're talking, you know, I can just imagine one of the disciples, you know what, but he did say. He, he told us, like, multiple times that he was going to rise from the dead. Maybe, maybe we ought to go to the tomb and just check it out. I mean, he did say it like a gajillion times. Maybe we ought to just, you know, just go check it out just in case what he said was going to happen actually happens. And so what do we learn from this story? That Jesus keeps his word. And what Jesus said is going to happen happens. So as we live in the expectation of the resurrection, that just need to remember as we, as we apply that to our lives to live with the expectation that Jesus will always keep his word. And as we think about that Jesus will keep his word. I mean, the, the one who said, this is what's going to happen and I'm going to suffer and they're going to kill me and they're going to spit on me and they're going to beat me and they're going to do all these things to me. And then three days later, I will rise again. And, and then he does it. The guy that says he's going to die and tells us how he's going to die. And then he rises from the dead. It seems like We ought to pay attention to the rest of the stuff he said. That's somebody we ought to listen to. And so what did he say? What did he tell us about how to live? Jesus told us in the Sermon on the Mount, one of the greatest sermons ever preached, he told us about loving and turning their cheek and loving our enemies and blessing those who persecute us. Remember his words where he told us of our need to repent and Luke 13, that unless we repent, we'll perish. But then he said in in John 3, that when we do repent, that we will not perish. We'll have eternal life. Or Remember his words about life. In John 10, 10, when he talks about this abundant life that we get to have, both now and for eternity. Or his words in Luke 12, from whom much has been given, much is required. And so we look, and we're the wealthiest nation on the face of this planet, and yet we're so self-absorbed sometimes. And to think about applying the truth and the principle to love our world and to make a difference. And so what if we listen to what he said? Like in John 15 when he talked about our lives could bear fruit and we could be a blessing to others. Or John 8 when he said that we could be set free in Christ. Or Matthew 17 that nothing is impossible with faith. Or John 14 that he hears our prayers. Or Matthew 28 where he says I'll never leave you. I'll always be with you to the very end of the age. Or Matthew 25 when he says, but some of you will go away to eternal punishment and some to eternal life. Jesus always keeps his word. And as we live in the the expectation of the resurrection, we need to remember that Jesus keeps his word. And then there's one final thing. Look at verse 7 of chapter 16. But go tell his disciples and Peter that he's going before you to Galilee, and there you'll see him just as he told you. So the tomb is empty. He's been resurrected. His his disciples are scattered. They're wondering what in the world's going on, and Jesus wants them to get the message. Get the message to my disciples and Peter to meet me in Galilee. And they're struggling, and they needed encouragement, and they needed a second chance because they had blown it, and they had deserted him, And, and especially Peter. Peter, who on multiple occasions when they were, when he was asked if he's with Jesus, he denies Jesus multiple times. And I think because Peter, Jesus knew Peter and knew he would struggle to forgive himself. Jesus, makes sure that the message delivered. Tell the disciples and make sure you tell Peter that I want to meet him in Galilee. Jesus actually in Mark 14 and in the garden before he's ever taken, tells them that, that, that it's happening and, and, and I'm, I'm going to be arrested and all this and I'll be raised. And to meet me, he tells them in Galilee. And so as we think about living in the expectation of the resurrection, we need to live in the expectation of connecting with Jesus. Jesus wants to connect with us. He wants to be our savior. He wants to, he wants to be our our companion in this life, our, our Lord, our Savior. And so he wanted them to go to Galilee, and he wanted to connect with them, and he wanted to look them in the eye and forgive them and give them a second chance and, give them their, and, and inspire them to change their world. And he wanted Peter there. He wanted Peter to, to experience the forgiveness that he wanted to give him. Peter shows up. The other disciples show up. They meet in Galilee. In Matthew 28, it says, Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, this is after the resurrection, he's risen, and they were doubting, but they go to Galilee. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted. Are you here today? And you still doubt. There's a standing invitation from Jesus that he wants to meet you. He wants to be in a relationship with you. He wants to to love you, encourage you, to both help you now and to walk with you through eternity. And so as we think about this call to Galilee, it's a call of forgiveness and a call to second chances. And if we live in expectation of, of, of the resurrection, then we need to live in expectation that, that he wants to connect with us, that he's not in a tomb, that he's risen, and he's not some aloof God that doesn't care about our lives as we are, but he loves us and cares for us and wants to connect with us. Connect through his word as we open it up and, and, he, and he speaks to us through it. Connect through worship like we had this morning. Connect through his church, through the body, together. The story of the resurrection of Jesus is the story of Jesus outstripping everyone's expectations. How often do we live with so little expectations of our God, of our Savior? Can we believe the words of Jesus? Can we trust the words of Jesus? If God raised Jesus from the dead, think about what he could do in our lives if we would just walk by faith and trust him. Let me invite our worship team to come back up on this resurrection Easter. I just want to encourage us to step out, to believe, to allow Jesus as we trust Him by faith, to allow Him to blow our expectations out of the water. And so maybe there's some area of your life, and you've maybe put your faith in Christ, but there's some, some area of your life that you've struggled in, struggled to trust Him in. Maybe it's your marriage, maybe it's Your relationship with your kids and being a parent or maybe it's your health or your career or your family or a thousand other things, your future. What today do you need to trust that the Savior, the one who gave his life on a cross that rose from the dead, that he, guys, God raised Jesus from the dead, that God is still in the business of doing miracles and he can help you right where you are. That he cares right where you are. And invite all of us to stand this morning as we conclude with a final song. It will just help us to articulate this faith, this, this expectation that we have that, that Jesus can, can move in us. And I would just invite all of us in a f- final moment. But right before I pray, I'm going to pray for us. That, can we all just bow our heads and close our eyes? I just want to invite you. Are you here today? And you would just ask God by raising your hand, God, could you help me? There's an area that I'm struggling and my expectations have been really low. I'm having a sister Jean moment and I'm a fan, but I'm really struggling to believe in this situation. Again, maybe it's a, maybe it's health or family or relationship, whatever, and as you would just raise your hand, you're saying to God, God, I'm going to, as an act of faith, believe that you could move in my life. So would you just raise your hand and, and thank you. Thank you. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Right over here by the door. Amen. Thank you. Thank you. Or maybe you're here today, and maybe you've, you can put your hands down. Maybe you're here today, and, and you've been struggling, you recognize today as you come that you've been, you kind of walked away from the Lord, but you sense that just the love of a God that gave a Savior for you and just like Jesus invited them to come to Galilee, so you look Peter in the eye and say, I forgive you, I love you and he sent him on mission that today could be the day that God forgives you and maybe it's for the first time or maybe you've walked away and, and you want to come home today. And just as you raise your hand, you're saying to God, God, I, I, I want to ask for your forgiveness. I, just, I want to be in a relationship with you. I, I, I get it. I've blown it. But today, I want to come home. Would you just, as you raise your hand, just acknowledge that you just want to come home. And I'm going to pray for him, I'm not going to ask you to do anything else. I'm just going to pray. Thank you. Amen. Thank you. Amen. Amen. And here in the middle. Amen. Thank you here by the door. Just want to say, God, I want to come home. So Heavenly Father, God, his hands have gone up. Father, today, we just want to live in the expectation of the resurrection. God, I thank you for bringing us here today. God, I thank you for reminding us in this space today that you love us, you care for us, that nobody here is here by accident. But God, you have brought us here to remind us that you love us. And God, for people that are struggling with different things, and and you know our hearts, and you know our hands that were raised, and you know what's going on in us. And God, we've said to you, God, God, I just need help. I I believe, I've, I've struggled, but God, today I just reach out to you. Father, I pray that you would send just an encouragement to each one. And you just remind us, God, that you are a miracle-working God. And the prayer is the slender move, uh, nerve that moves the muscles of omnipotence. And God, as we pray in faith, we can believe and you can move. By the power of the resurrection, I pray, Father, that you would move in these situations. And God, today, I pray for that person. God, in the multiple hands that went up, they were just saying to you, God, I want to come home. Thank you for forgiving them of their sin. Thank you as they repent, God, that you've forgiven them of their sin. Thank you, God, that their names are now written in the Lamb's Book of Life and there is eternity in store for them. God, I pray that you would bless them, encourage them as they walk with your Son as their Savior. And so, God, as we now turn our attention to this final song, I pray, God, that you would use these words to help us to be able to say to you what we experience today, what we're feeling today, as we just say and are reminded that the power of the resurrection is available to us. Thank you, God. We now worship you. Thank you, God, for what you've reminded us of on this Easter, this Resurrection Sunday. We worship you, Father. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.